Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Uh, welcome to New Vintage. Hey, Dan, what's going on, bud? All right, man. All right, doing awesome. Here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're in a series called Old School Lessons on God from the Schoolhouse, and we're looking at uh, kind of walking around school and looking at things that we can learn about God uh, from being in school, okay? So there are times in the Bible when uh, there are, Jesus will tell a parable, he'll tell a story, he'll do things like that, and, that, and then say, so it is with God, or people, uh, Paul will be explaining to people uh, something that's going on using the illustration, he'll say, so it is with God. So this is a so it is with God series, okay? So if this is your first time here, welcome. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I'm going to go ahead and show my cards to you early, all right? We're going to do ditching today. And um, ditching is, in a way, if we're going to talk about it here, uh, it's a little bit, I'm preaching to the choir today, okay? Uh, you're here. So there's, you're kind of like, okay, why don't you talk to the people who aren't here? Well, it's kind of for all of us. It's a good reminder. And here's why. Uh, even preachers, okay, don't necessarily bounce out of bed every Sunday morning. And the reason is not because they don't love God or anything like that. It's not that. It's that because there's a lot expected of you every Sunday. So I don't know what's going to hit me on an average Sunday. I get up and I do look forward to seeing you guys. I look forward to being able to preach the word. I look forward to uh, what I believe God's going to do that morning. But it's also a little bit like crossing the bridge uh, as a knight and realizing you're at the, at the front of the castle and the drawer is about to open. And when it opens, you really don't know what's coming your way. I mean, I've had all sorts of crazy stuff happen that, um, you know, you would not even believe if I told you what, what has happened on Sunday morning sometimes. Those of you who've been here at NBC know some of those things. Uh, and it's one of those deals where you just go, okay, do I have that in me today? And, and, and so I'm familiar with the feeling of, of that, right? I know that's going to be like putting my finger in an electrical socket from an energy standpoint for three or four hours. And yet, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Because no matter what is required of me, uh, no matter whether I think it was an up or down Sunday, the one thing I can acknowledge and I know will happen regardless is that God's going to do something great. I may not even see it. I may not, I may not even know that it happened, but it's going to be some conversation between two of you guys out on the street that you have coming or going. Uh, it might be somebody that I realize is a little bit discouraged and later on I can talk to them. I reach out to them. Uh, it might be that, that you heard something that you took and did something with that actually became a foundation for you to grow as a, as a Christian. It could be that you guys found each other and encouraged one another uh, at a time when, when you both came in discouraged and now you're not. You leave encouraged, right? So, so much of the stuff that goes on in the kingdom of God isn't really obvious on the surface. Jesus would say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a little tiny thing, it's kind of insignificant looking, but when it's fully grown, it's the greatest of all the garden plants, right? So the church is a little bit like that, and the experience of church is like that. So today we're going to just simply say, uh, we're going to take a look at church attendance. I know that sounds, oh no, we've got to talk about church attendance. No, no, just, 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 just this. It's important we know why we're here. It's important that you know why church matters and going to church. I'm not necessarily really like that language, but it's the language we use. 
We can say we are the church, yada, yada, yada. But I want to talk about that particular thing and why it matters, okay? Now, ditching today in school is very hard to do. Uh, because if you miss a class, it automatically sends off a voicemail or a text to your parents saying, so-and-so is absent from second period today. Well, in my day, that didn't exist. Uh, and so you, you know, there weren't even cell phones back then. So they didn't know, you know where you were. It was uh, free-range parenting back in those days. And the parents tried to put the values in you, and then off, off, you, off you went. But uh, in my day, um, it was very, very common to ditch. And I was a prolific ditcher. I didn't do it like once or twice. I mean, like I was... I was really an artist. I was a, a person that could have taught a class in college for how to ditch your, your classes. Uh, my senior year, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I remember first period, second semester. I think I racked up before the note came to the house. 23 first period absences. I know, but think about how good you have to be to get 23 under your belt before they send the note. Um, and I, I had done it 23 times because I realized that they didn't take roll until second period. So you could miss first and nobody would know, I thought. Um, so I, I did it. And I was uh, AP U.S. History. Pete Blagajich was his name. Great teacher and actually a subject that I like. So it shouldn't have been that hard for me to get there, but I liked going to have fun with my friends a little bit more. Now, I didn't realize that I was getting dumber by the day by not being in class. I did not realize what I was missing. Uh, I did not know what I know today that when I'm not there, schools lose money because I'm not there. I didn't know that if I were to get busted for it, that I would be benched and I wouldn't be able to play on a team that, that needed me to throw for them. Uh, so I wasn't thinking like somebody who contributed anything. I, I thought about it like I was a consumer. And so I looked at everything in terms of what I got out of it. And if for that particular day I didn't feel like getting anything out of it, then I didn't get anything out of it, right? Well, today I understand as an adult that a lot of what you do, the habits that you form, that things are interconnected, that there's very little I do in this life that I actually do by myself, that I do in total isolation where my habits, my choices have no impact on anybody. Parents, your decisions impact your kids. Husbands and wives, your decisions impact each other. If you're a member of New Vintage Church, your decisions impact your brothers and sisters, okay? And that includes, by the way, your absence. Now, um, the, the preacher of the book of Hebrews, or I'm going to call him that because most uh, scholars look at Hebrews as a big, long homily, a big, long sermon. Uh, a lot of rhetoric, a lot, it's kind of fancy, the, the language is really lofty. But it's very well put together. I mean, it, it reads like a sermon. He doesn't see it as a burden. In fact, he sees it as an indispensable church attendance, if you will. As an indispensable spiritual practice in an age in which the culture around the church is hostile to the teachings of Christianity and those who follow the example of Jesus, as it is in our time. Now, I'm not an expert at everything in this life, but I will tell you this. I am an expert church attender. I have been to church probably more than almost anybody in this room. Uh, I was born on Tuesday. I think I was taken to church Sunday in a bucket, uh, one of those old carriers. And my parents were, uh, anytime the church doors were open, were there, people. And I grew up in a tribe where you had Sunday morning Bible class, then you had church on Sunday morning, then you came back Sunday night for another service that was different than the Sunday morning service, and then you came back on Wednesday night. Four, if your church only had one service, okay, for, for church. 
So then as I got older, that, that paradigm has continued. Now, even in my, throughout my years in ministry, I've, had, I've preached in uh, numerous countries, states, uh, big churches, small churches, uh, foreign languages. Um, I mean, I've been to church in almost any context you can, you can think of. And if I were to sit back and go, all right, Tim, take all of that away, every experience you've ever had on a weekend service away, Pretend none of it mattered, pretend none of it happened, pretend none of it, and, and, and that includes the bad stuff, by the way. All that stuff goes out the window. I truly despair in my soul. Truly. I think about all the different times that one of you had just the right thing to say to me. And then another time when we, we use this expression in my, my growth group, uh, we borrowed joy from each other. You know how sometimes you'll come in, you're dragging, but they're upbeat? And so you go and you lean on them, and then, you know, a few months later, they're in the dumps and you're up, and so you guys kind of borrow joy from each other as you encourage each other. And I think about the witness of the Christians in other countries and what I've seen them do in places like Mexico and Ukraine and Thailand, places where, where they worship under a much different uh, level of, of problems than, than we do, different set. Ours is apathy. Ours is uh, we don't care enough. Uh, we treat things that are profound as though they're everyday and kind of um, discardable, whereas in theirs it's threat of government oppression or abject poverty or things like that, uh, poverty that we, we just really don't have a lot of experience with in this country. And, and I watch those things, and all of those shape the way that I read this text, Hebrews 10. Um, I could have missed it all, or I could have missed some of it, I guess. Um, I love ditching school because it allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do instead of what I needed to do. And I think that we can always hide behind worthwhile things. I'll put that in air quotes. Hide behind our families or our fitness, our personal well-being, our, or even behind, you know, kind of worship itself. We can rationalize, or I, can t- I can meet God anywhere. And, uh, uh, and it doesn't matter if the Bible really has no con- concept of an individual Christian living spiritual life outside the church. Um, we just kind of pretend that's not a fact. So I can encounter God wherever I want. Um, uh, you know, I can, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, whatever that means. Um, other things that we come up with to rationalize why we shouldn't engage the people of God the way that we're told to in Hebrews 10. And so when we read this, understand From his perspective, this is a work and an act of grace to give them like like water in the desert because they are scared, they are beat up, they are sad, they are wondering why they're doing it. Okay, it's all that. And so what he tells them to do, get this, get together and don't stop. Keep doing it and don't stop. Keep doing it, and don't stop. Uh, I was grateful for one of my religion professors. It was Religion 101. I had had him, and I didn't attend his class very much either in college. Uh, He was the chair of the division, so I came in to protest a grade that I'd gotten in a different class with him, and he asked me to sit down. And my issue was I had gotten a bad grade in the class, not because I'd done poorly on the test. I'd aced all the tests, but I hadn't gone to class. That'll make a professor mad, okay? If you're not in class and you still ace the, the exams. 
So I was in protesting in, office, or in his office, and I'd had him for this class before, and, and he sat me down, and I was making my appeal as to why I should really get an A, even though the syllabus clearly said you're going to get dinged for every absence that you have. And so he sits there and, you know, kind of a, he's got his hands here, kind of a portly fella, world-class Bible scholar. He hears me out, and he goes, Tim, you didn't come to my class either. And so I made some nervous joke. And he says to me, he says, you know, if you're not careful, Tim, here's why you're not going to amount to anything. That'll get your attention. And he says, because you think everything is a joke. To which, as I recall, I responded with a joke. <laughs> Improved his point. Um, but it stuck with me in the back of my head. Am I taking things seriously that are serious? Or am I taking things that I think aren't as important as everybody's telling me are, are important? I mean, what's the point, right? If I can ace the test, why do I need to be in class? I mean, as long as I live a moral life, why, do, why should I have to go to church? Why, why do I have to deal with the headaches of other people? I can just walk out and kind of create my own little bubble, a, a little spiritual day spa of my own where I can kind of walk around and whenever I want to pray, I pray. Whenever I want to do something, I do it. Uh, whenever I want to give, I go, I go do something that will make me feel better about myself. I'll give some money to the Eagle Scouts out in front of Vons or I'll do whatever. And, 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 and then I don't, have, I don't need any responsibilities, no expectations. And then I can sit back on my Sundays. I got them all free. And then I can tell myself what a good father I am because I'm always around my kids. And I'll do that, and that'll allow me then to ignore that the rest of my life is horribly out of balance, which is why I need Sundays to be around my kids. You see how this works? How the devil does his work. Well, this morning, let's go ahead and go back to our tired, discouraged, under-persecution brothers and sisters in the book of Hebrews and read this text. And then we're going to do four, four little things that he he gives us here in the text for why what we're doing right here, right now matters. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, true, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Notice all the clinging, hold on to it kind of language in here, right? Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, some is, the as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right. The idea that you could give somebody th something this basic, he doesn't tie it to like just even Christian habits. He ties it to, to four things, all right? The first reason he points out Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 is we worship together because we can. Doesn't that sound weird? Doesn't sound weird anymore. We do it because we can. 
I think sometimes we miss what an unspeakable honor it is to be able to approach the king of the universe and the guy who created it all in ways that what he's pointing out is that the, the people before us, those on, that lived on the other side of the cross, could never do. They needed a priest to do it for them because they weren't holy enough to enter into the Holy of Holies on their own. So they had to wait for the priest to do it. And he's saying, listen, you got a priest now. His name is Jesus. That curtain that, that, that put the power and presence of God in, that, in the Holy of Holies, that curtain's been taken away by the blood of Christ. You can go in there now. So he's saying, draw near, come inside, come inside, come inside. And he's doing it because of what God has done for us. It all starts there with the idea that, do you understand what a profound privilege it is to be able to stand in the power and presence of Almighty God and to, and to do what you just did, which is to, to praise him? Woo! I mean, or to hear the word of God even read out loud. Even that would have been a big deal back then in a, in a thoroughly illiterate world. Okay, we have, we have the Bible on our phones. I mean, the, the written word of God, living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. That text comes out of Hebrews too. He's kind of saying to him, wake up. Like, do you not understand what you're playing in that, these little things that you do, little things that you do are tied to the biggest mysteries of the universe and the single biggest acts of grace that God has ever showered upon you. And if you could only understand what a profound privilege it is to be able to stand in the presence of God without being blasted or without being struck dead for even presuming to do it, but being welcomed in. Also in Hebrews, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That's also Hebrews, right? He's saying, draw near. Don't walk out, draw near. Don't turn away, walk in, walk toward. Walk toward each other, walk toward God. Are you tired? Lean in, go forward, draw near. Are you exhausted? Come forward, draw near, get close to God. And he'll just say, and don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Listen to these words again, Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, okay, because this, because this, because this, okay, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Worship reminds me that there is something a lot bigger than me and a lot bigger than my interests in this world. It humbles us to think that God invites us into his presence for fellowship with him and with one another because of Christ. Worship from up close as opposed to on the other side of the curtain. Okay, he, he died to make that possible. And so instead, what we do sometimes is we go, ah, it's all right. I'll do golf instead today. I mean, I wonder if we know what a, what a ringing in God's ears that probably is. Now, you can make too much of it, right? And, and I think one of the fallacies, and this is the one we've kind of overcompensated uh, on in, in, in debunking, is the idea that if I go to church, I'm profoundly spiritual. No, uh, that's kind of Pharisaism, the idea that you just do these things and that makes you holy. No, that's not what we're saying. But frankly, we don't live in a society that is plagued with an overdose on church attendance. 
Can we be honest? Uh, you know, in fact, it used to be that the average church person, you know, went three or three out of four or whatever. It's 0.8 a month right now in the United States. 0.8 times a month. Which sermon do we need to hear? Do we need to hear, uh, you know what, do, do whatever you want. You can worship God wherever you want, da, 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 because that removes you then from the accountability of brothers and sisters who might challenge you. It removes you from a community of people to confess your sins to. It removes you from anybody that would say, hey, are you doing okay? It removes you from all that. And you're going to sit there and talk about how important God is in your life without taking some of the most basic ways of being able to acknowledge his presence and activity in your life and his work around the world. He says, we have access to him through Christ. Now, the big one that is emphasized in the text is number two, because we need it. Okay, the New Testament gives no help to the thought of lone Christians. Occasionally, I have somebody that make an argument that says, no, you know, I can connect with God anywhere, et cetera, et cetera. And even the people who quote scripture, the irony is they often quote from Galatians or Romans, which, of course, are titled to the church at Galatia. That's how it starts. Okay, it's written directly to a church directly to a church. So the idea that you would pull something out as evidence that you ought to be by yourself is strange, all right, from, a, from an interpretation standpoint. The Bible knows nothing of that. When you're added to the, by the gospel, you're, you're buried in Christ and raised a new life, you're added to the church. That's the bride. It gives no help to the thought of lone Christians. In fact, it's rather insistent, this text being one case in point, that close and regular fellowship with one another isn't just a nice idea, it's essential. And it's actually one of God's greatest blessings to us in this life is actually, get this, one another. I mean, it may not feel like it every time, okay? But I'm telling you what, I'll, I'll put my hand in the air and say that's absolutely the case. That, that without my brothers and sisters in Christ, my life would be fundamentally different. And I think people, we are spoiled by, by having been uh, in the majority as often as we have been. Because I think it ruins the way we experience our fellowship. We really do see it as an optional thing. Whereas if it was shrunk down and there were only a handful of us in Escondido or in San Diego or whatever, and we were under severe persecution. I mean, my wife and I have told this story before, but uh, it's important because we've got so new, many new people here. This helps shape the way that I see the church. And I needed it. I needed to experience it for the rebuke that it offered me at the time. Uh, we went over to Thailand on a short-term mission trip. My wife at the time was my girlfriend. We went over to the group of college students, and uh, we were over there helping people practice their English using the Bible. Well, we, we get over there, and it comes time to go to church, and so we knew it would be about a one-hour trip from where we were. We had to walk a distance, get to a bus stop. Bus would go all the way through Bangkok on to the other side where the church met. So, you know, we get up about 8 o'clock. We, we get on the bus. We head over about 9 o'clock. Church starts. Um, and it was mostly in another language. They had interpretation that day, but that makes the service longer because you have the sermon that has to be said twice. Uh, so I'm sitting there, you know, kind of doing my thing, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. It's over. Uh, so I'm like, all right, let's go. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're staying to eat together. So I'm like, oh, like a potluck or something. Okay, all right, you know, so we can do potlucks, get a meal out of this deal. So I go, and we, we, we sit, and they, they, they've been making food from the day before. They started the day before making all the food. 
And everybody goes out in the courtyard and out they go and everybody's eating together. I mean, two, three hours. I'm like, come on, man. Two, three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm ready to go. Like, oh, no, 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 we're not done yet. What do you mean you're not done yet? Oh, no, no, we're just getting started. So out they come, and, and the kids go out and play, and they start playing games. Volleyball and everything. Well, a couple hours of that go by. I'm jumping in. I'm trying to be a good sport, right? I'm supposed to be spiritual. So I, I'm in there. I'm playing the games. I'm doing all that hoopla, everything, and it's over. I'm like, all right. I go, oh, no, 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 you're staying for dinner, aren't you? What are you talking about dinner? I mean, am I going to stay here till the Lord's return? What is happening? Like, what do you guys, do you guys? So we go ahead and we eat dinner. And then you know what happens then? Then they have Sunday night church. And by the time I'm done, it's like 8 o'clock at night. I go, wait a minute. Don't you guys know how inefficient this is? Is what I'm thinking in my head. What? I mean, we can get it done in like an hour in the U.S. And I thought to myself, I go, well, I bet this was a, this is special. This is probably just because we were here. You know, typical American way of seeing things. And they're like, no, we do this every week. What? What a, what a, are you serious? You know, and I will admit, in my college mind at the time, I go, what a waste of time. I thought that. Because I was immature. And prideful. And then I came home. Jump back into American ministry, you know, where, where everybody's kind of, you know, we're going to, you know, we, we work by countdown clocks and, and those kind of things, right? And, and getting a good parking spot and doing those kind of things. And I thought to myself, I go, boy, you know, I don't, the reason that they don't take it for granted is because they're the only ones that are. We were there living in a student center. I shared a room with seven other guys, one room. Four of us in beds, three on the floor. By the way, if you haven't been to Bangkok in the summer, go to Houston in the summer and double it. It's brutal. I mean, it's the hottest heat I've ever, I lived in Houston. Brutal heat in Houston. Bangkok in the summer is, is crushing. No air conditioning almost anywhere, all right? So you just sweat. We sweated for seven weeks, solid. Um, and it makes you wonder, okay, why are, they, why are they all living here? They were living there because they had all been disowned by their parents for becoming Christians. And I realized, ah, they get it. I don't get it. I, I, I'm in a country where, where we're kind of, from a religious standpoint, in the majority, uh, we're in a, we're, I, I, I live in a place where I'm not under threat. I mean, they're taking up offerings to give money to the families of the people that are in jail. They're getting cars and driving kind of incognito to go visit these folks that are in prison in Burma and these places. And I am among a people who are at point eight a month for an hour and a half. I just found myself going... They get it. I think they get it. Because when you need encouragement, then you go and you hang on around the neck of those brothers and sisters as long as you can. And they understood that that is a gift. That if you're struggling and you're poor and you're, and you're, you're trying to make it through this life, 
that the best, one of the best, best, best gifts God can give you, not just for your own spiritual growth, it's certainly that, but also just for the love and care and accountability that goes with it are your sisters and brothers in Christ. They got it. The scriptures here clearly indicate in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, that there's an expectation that we be in fellowship with other Christians. And, and I'll tell you, there are times uh, that, that I've gone, and it's not just church, it's, it's all the opportunities to get together, right? It's growth groups or uh, people inviting you over for dinner, all these things, right? That, that I've, I've, because I've been tired or, you know, sad or whatever, it's like, you know, ah, I don't know if I want to do this or I don't, you know. And I'll tell you this, man, I, there have been so many times, so many times, that, I, that God has done his best work on me through those kind of what I'll call epiphanies. There's those little moments where you go, ah, I almost missed it. Isn't it funny how we got so much FOMO about all sorts of stuff? But not that. But not God. Not, not what you think he's going to do because it's almost like if you have your favorite TV show, your favorite book, or your favorite whatever, or your friends are all going out, you expect that that's going to be good, but we don't have the expectation that God's going to do anything great in our midst. So what I'm looking at this for, what, the reason he's saying, hey, hey, draw near. Understand what God's done for you in Christ. Lean on each other. Get together. Encourage one another. Stir one another up toward love and good deeds. And all the more as you see the day approaching, that means more and more every day until Jesus' return. I mean, sometimes y'all have woken me up to something that I hadn't seen before. You'd, you've challenged me in my thinking or encouraged me uh, as I walk along the same journey. The church, sisters and brothers, is supposed to be as relevant for us as a gym is to the boxer, as basic training is for the soldier. It is, among other things, an opportunity for us to equip ourselves for a certain way of life. And part of that is encouraging one another. And part of this comes from our posture as either a giver or a consumer in the body. Now, I didn't realize, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't realize that if I'm not there, the school loses money. I didn't realize that if I get busted for this, I'm not going to be able to play this season, which is why my teacher lied to my mom when she called and asked. Sorry, mom, she watches these. Um, and told her, oh, yeah, that must be a mistake. And he let me slide on it. Because he was a baseball fan. And he wanted me to be able to pitch for the team. And he knew I wouldn't be able to if I got busted for something like that. So he let it go. Now, we do that kind of thing all the time in church. Because we don't want people to get discouraged. We don't want people to feel like we're legalistic. We don't want, okay. Somewhere in between controlling and authoritarianism, and I really don't give a flip what you do with your life, there is something in here, and it's probably closer to this side than that side, but it's not on that side. There's something that simply says, if we are in fact part of the body of Christ, then we are brothers and sisters, so I will treat you like I do, brothers and sisters. And that means I care about you. That means I love you. That means I care about your spiritual well-being. It means I care whether you live or die. I care about your eternity. I care about your marriage. I care about that stuff. So, so much of what the tone of this text is about strengthening them. It's all through Hebrews. Strengthen your feeble knees. Throw your shoulders back. Run the race with perseverance. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. All of that stuff is all vintage Hebrews. It's a, it's a Ted Lasso halftime talk for tired, beat-up Christians. And here he gives them this one. 
go to church. Number three, because he wants us to. This doesn't need a lot more explanation, but if God told me to go stand on my head and stack babies, I probably should do it. If he tells me to go do it, I know and I believe in him and I believe he knows what's best for me and that he's good and that he means me no harm and he wants to see me grow and he wants to see me thrive, then no matter what he tells me to do and regardless of how stupid I find it, I will try to do that. So if he tells me, get together with your brothers and sisters it will strengthen you, I should listen to that, shouldn't I? If he's Lord, then I should pay attention and heed. I mean, this might be the best reason out of all of them is this one. Because he asked us to. And obedience just simply says, if he wants me to do it, then I'm going to do it. Um, here's a random thought for you that, that if you want to know uh, what God thinks of it, in Matthew 18, 20, it talks about how wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be also. So think about this. If you look at it a certain way, Jesus has never missed an assembly. <laughs> if, if he's there every time two or three are gathered in his name, then he's there. He's here. Right now. Anywhere, anytime, any nation. Wherever they're gathered in his name. Lastly, because the return of Christ is coming nearer by the day. He's coming soon. He says, the reason we do this is because Jesus is coming soon. And when he arrives, we want to be ready for his return. I want to be found in a way that makes me seem faithful to him. I want to make sure that the life that he's given me, the one life he's given me, I'm maxing out. I'm leaving nothing uh, behind. I'm, I'm absolutely going for it. Um, two stories for you. Then the sermon is yours. Uh, I remember once, this is uh, probably 2012, 13, somewhere in there, early in the days of the church. Uh, we, were, we had just moved, <clears throat> and we were in a new neighborhood, and uh, we had a small group meeting at our house. You know, the church was real small, and we were just, you know, pushing and trying to, you know, and we, there was a night in particular where it was Sunday night, and so we'd already done church and all that. I was, I, we're, we're tired. Em and I are tired on Sunday nights. Spirit is willing, but the body's weak. And so, anyways, we had, I think, seven couples at that time in our group. Everybody but one called between five and six o'clock and said they weren't coming. So it was Em and I and one other couple who was kind of new and we didn't know them that well. And so we're like, ah, we should cancel. Let's just cancel, you know. And so we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about it. We decided, you know what, let's just get to know them. Let's just keep it low key, keep our sweats on or whatever. I remember it was fairly cold because when we eventually gathered, it, we were in the back around the fire pit. Um, so we say we're going to do it. Well, right around 6 this other couple shows up, and then we start getting text messages from the, the others. And they're like, hey, you know what? We can come after all. I kid you not. I think one of them still didn't come. The rest showed up. And then here's the best part. We're out in the backyard having so much fun and making so much noise that the neighbors start noticing that. And then they start coming over. And by the time it was done, I kid you not, I think we had 40-something people in our backyard. Okay. Now, out of that group, that group turned into another group, so we had two, and then we had three. And out of that group, those gathered around the fireplace, two of the guys that were in that group are, are on our board now <laughs> at the church. We had 
we baptized, I don't know how many, probably half of that 40 at one point or another and led them to the Lord. And I remember everybody leaving the house that night. And us looking at each other across the kitchen and going, aren't you glad we didn't cancel? <laughs> I was like, and of course the house is destroyed. The backyard's a mess. There's, there's cups everywhere. And, you know, you know, the holy rubble left behind after people have come through like locusts and destroyed your house. But it was so good. I mean, like we looked at each other and we're like, dude, aren't you glad we didn't cancel? Can you think of what we would have missed? And that moment was a turning point for the entire church was that night. Okay? Story number two. I mentioned this in, I think it was this service two, three weeks ago. I flunked Greek the first time I took it. The reason was I went about one out of four times. Now, ancient languages are not the kind of thing that you're born knowing. Ancient languages are hard to learn, actually. And so I thought, I guess, for some reason, that I could still be successful just showing up, you know, every two weeks. As it turns out, I couldn't. So, in that same era where I was told I might, you know, not amount to anything, yada, 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 um, then, then I decide uh, eventually a semester or so later that I'm going to go into ministry, which means I'm going to probably need to go to graduate school, which means I'm going to end up needing to take Greek again. I decide to stay at Pepperdine and get my MDiv, and so that means I've got to take Greek at the same school from the same guy who is now, I'm on staff at the church, on campus, and he's one of my elders. Oh boy. This time though, I had changed, dramatically changed. The knucklehead kid that thought everything was a joke was different now. You know, now fast forward, I'm three years later, I'm 21 years old, not 18. I'm focused. And as I mentioned, I set the all-time record for points in that class the second time through. It was a 996 out of 1,000. I think it was still 10 years ago, still the record. I wonder what schmuck broke it or whatever. But, but here, here's the best part. I didn't finish this story the last time. Um, you know, he, he was, it was the same teacher in the same school, same class. The only thing that changed was the student. It was me that needed to change. No blaming the teacher, no blaming the subject, no blaming anything. I needed to change. Go back to 2011, uh, I stood behind the little podium where I'd taken Religion 101 with Tom Albright and been told just across the hall that if I didn't start taking things seriously, I might not amount to anything. And I'm starting to teach my class. And in the doorway, here comes my Greek professor. This is year, I mean, 20 years later, or 17 years later. There he is standing in the doorway like this. I think he was there hoping that somebody would be treating me the way I treated him. <laughs> I think he was looking for uh, finding amusement in what might befall me soon. And I just remember uh, saying there, kind of wanting, uh, wanting to say, I'm going to do a good job with this. I want to do a good job with this. I ran into him last week. Fast forward from that, right? Now, 10 years later, we're colleagues now. And we walk out down the same halls. And we look at each other with a certain, you know, we know. Not everybody else, I guess, the, you know, hundreds of us now know. But 
we, it was kind of a knowing glance between he and I. And I guess what, what, I, what I've learned through that experience and what I've seen from 25 years in ministry is that who you are today doesn't mean that's who you're going to be tomorrow. But the difference is, like, you, you can spend your life going, oh, I was the teacher, oh, I was the school, oh, I was the subject that's boring. Ah, you know, you make all those excuses. But at the end of the day, the big breakthrough for you will happen when you decide to own your faith and take responsibility for your own growth in Christ. And then you see the church as an ally or a resource, not as the ones who owe you a certain menu of religious goods and services that are always tasty and everything like that. Because if, even if you had it, uh, you'd be like a person who ate dessert all the time. Part of what makes you a healthy, developed Christian is the trial and the struggle. It's having to go even when you don't feel like it. It's having to love a person that you don't want to love. It's about forgiving people that have hurt you. All of that stuff. And it might be a small little moment, right? There's a kid walking around. I don't see him, but there's one of our teens is walking around with a t-shirt on that says, your sins don't define you. Walked by that, I was like, my, my heart just leapt within me. I was like, that's right, your sins don't define you. You know? I was like, you know, even that little bit, right? You know, we, we've had a, a difficult uh, morning in some logistical ways here at NBC. <laughs> and after that, came back in the green room, band's in there, everybody's in there. It's like, hey, you know, you can feel the spiritual resistance around us today. You can just feel it. You're like, you know what? Not today. We're not, today, we're pushing back. So, y'all... We're pushing back today, and we're going to do this together. Energy, spirit, you know, let's go, right? And we did it. And I said, hey, stir one another up toward love and good deeds, right? That's what he's talking about. So here, Christian, if you need to borrow some joy this morning, find a brother or sister that got some joy. In fact, if you got something to give out, Put your hand in the air. Come on. Oh, man. I was going to say, people in the front are amen. Yeah, we go. I got a little bit for you. Go find somebody that had to hand up and say, lay it on me. <laughs> right? We, have, we use that expression in our group. We say, hey, we, we may need, I need to borrow some joy tonight. Because you get there, and sometimes they're up, and you're down. And then it's going to flip around. Encourage one another. Stir one another up toward love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's my challenge to you, sisters and brothers. You don't have to be defined by where you've been. Is this your first time in church ever? Okay, it's a great start. If you're back for the first time in a long time, that's a great start. You know, but if you hear the stuff like you're going to hear in the announcements about opportunities to grow spiritually, be ever whatever, show up. Because back to that story about the growth group uh, in our house that we almost canceled. That was a way of us taking, at that moment, what felt like a thousand-pound sacrifice. Picking it up and saying, God, we're going to trust that you're going to do something with this. We're going to lay it out there and see what you do. And he did a great thing. I'm not going to lie. Not every time that we've done that have you seen the fruit right away. That it may be because the fruit wasn't going to come out here. It was going to come in here. Right? It's going to come in here. Uh, we're going to be stronger because we've learned not to just cancel when things get hard. We're going to continue to grow because it keeps our marriage together, saying we're still in this spiritually, and we're not, as a couple, going to drag each other down by doing X and Y. 
we're going to continue to march forward together. And then when we watched it, watched God do that great thing, we saw it together. And we were encouraged together. Stir one another up, husbands and wives. Kids, stir your parents up. Parents, stir them kids up. Brothers and sisters, stir each other up in the Lord. May God bless the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Oh, actually, look, before we do, I forgot to say, um, uh, we're, we're going to gather around the Lord's table right now. And so those of you who missed the, uh, the elements on your way in, you should have gotten a little baggie on your hands with the bread and the cup inside. Let me go ahead and um, say, if you didn't get them, just put your hand in the air. We'll be happy to give you the elements. We do this every week at New Vintage Church. We call this communion. And we do this uh, because the early church did it, and it's good for us to sit down and to contemplate and reflect on what the gospel is calling us to do. So I'm going to reread our text as a prayer this morning. And uh, as we do, I hope you'll ask the question, okay, what's, what does God want me to do? What's my next step? What decisions do I need to make? Uh, and then also feel the love of the people of God around you and the blessing that it is to... Um, to be part of the church. What an awesome thing it is. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to say this morning that we're grateful for your people, grateful for being part of the church. I'm thankful, Father, for the brothers and sisters of, in Christ that are here now, those, those who've been part of our church in the past and have taught me so many great things. And, and, and everywhere I've been, the, the Bible class teachers I had when I was a kid, the... Uh, the, the preachers that I've heard, uh, the people who are wanting to love me through my knucklehead teen and college years, and just the different ways that you've shown your grace to me, I give you thanks. And I pray for each person here, Lord, that as we gather around the table, uh, that we would hear, um, that we would hear the gospel of the church gathered in the name of Jesus, and we would hear the name of Jesus. Is something that uh, is accessible to us and that because of him the curtain's been removed and that we would say in full-throated fashion father that since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God father we will draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Father, may we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for you who promised are faithful. And let us, Father, consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, this is our prayer in Christ Jesus, we pray.